It was a tough day for Ottawa Senators fans. No, a player did not leave the team. Uh, it was actually much worse. Um, the team owner that many Sens fans either liked or weren't really fond of kept the team in Ottawa for several years. Unfortunately, dead at the age of 62. We take a look at uh, the complex legacy of Eugene Melnick and what happens to the Sens from here. We also have a beef between a member of the Arizona Coyotes and a member of the Anaheim Ducks. And it all started with the Michigan goal of sorts, uh, or a certain variation of the Michigan goal that we'll also talk about. We'll also talk about an Ironman streak that ended a former member of the Arizona Coyotes uh, paying the price for that. And speaking of paying the prices, the Golden Knights are definitely paying Will it cost them a playoff spot. Episode 314 of the Lace My Podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Uh, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. And uh, Brett, um, I'll, because I'm the Sens fan, I'll probably be talking more about this, but uh, to introduce it to you, a Sens owner, Eugene Melnick, uh, suddenly passing at the age of 62 last Monday. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of gave you the floor for uh, you can talk about it. I feel like it's not right for me to mention it. But yeah, I guess to hold the floor, I... I yeah, actually, you know what? I'll 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 leave it to you on uh, the details. Okay. Um, so apparently, Eugene Melnick was battling a lengthy illness for quite some time, and I say apparently because for the average fan, we didn't really know anything about it. When I got the news that Eugene Melnick had died through a tweet from Bruce Garak, I'm just like, wait, what? That, uh, he got a liver transplant a couple week uh, a couple years ago, or not a couple years ago, but it seemed like a couple years ago. It was probably like five six years ago, I want to say, and it was a big deal in the headlines yeah. and uh, the organ donation prod a project that he created as a result of that uh, good deed. Um, but uh, over the past couple of years, um, he's been fighting this illness. Um, Behind behind the curtain, a lot of people that weren't affiliated with the media, the media knew. Bruce Garriock knew for a couple of years that Eugene Melnick wasn't always feeling the best. And people around Eugene Melnick knew, probably people around the team knew, probably the players knew that Melnick wasn't feeling well. But to the average fan who really didn't know too much about Eugene Melnick, this was probably a big shock. Um, but... Uh, the team released a statement. Commissioner Bettman released a statement. Sends Captain Brady Kachuk released a statement. And that's when it really started to sink in, like, wow, Eugene Melnick is dead. And I know he didn't really express himself in the public eye to the liking of Sens fans all the time. And granted, not every owner or even executive um, is always going to please the public with what he says. But uh, Eugene Melnick... I would say had a complicated relationship with the fans because there, there was a soft side to Eugene Melnick. There was, um, 
and and unfortunately we're hearing more and more about these positive stories now that he's gone we didn't hear it from him uh when he was alive but um after eric carlson's son or um after his after his um firstborn um what was born uh eugene melnick and this was when he was with the sharks eugene melnick sent him and his wife melinda flowers and that's noteworthy because a lot of people thought Eric Carlson left because Eugene Melnick wasn't willing to pay him. And he still sent flowers to Eric Carlson, regardless of what may or may not have happened. Um, there is also a story of Chris Neal, whose mom's, uh, whose mom suddenly passed away in 2005 and Eugene Melnick, uh, did a very noble thing, got some guys on a plane uh, showed up to Chris, uh, to Chris Neal's mother's funeral to show their support for him. And um, they went back to the rink and play a couple nights later. And uh, Chris Neal, um, I think, missed two or three games during that whole thing. And uh, it was one of the toughest times he had ever gone through. But Eugene Melnick had his back for his players. And you can say whatever about Eugene having his backs for the current group. But in, in, in my heart of hearts, I think he, he tried to have his heart in the right place with everything he did. And it maybe just didn't translate. And the reason why I think a lot of people, again, have this persona of Eugene Melnick as being a cheap, grouchy owner is because that's all the stories we got. I flash back to 2017, the outdoor game, ahead of the outdoor game against Montreal, you have Alexi Yashin. People are booing him. They're actually cheering for Alexi Yashin in the alumni games. So like, wow, what 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 world are we living in? People are actually applauding Yashin for something. This is great. And then Eugene Melnick goes up and he's critical of the attendance and how um, the franchise might look good in a different venue. And this was when you know the Sens were months off, uh, were months uh, from um, this massive playoff run. They really captivated the city, but they weren't always selling out games. And it was this talked about thing throughout the playoffs. And it continued throughout the year. And Eugene Melnick, and uh, I'm sure a lot of fans around here, um, probably weren't as thrilled with the attendance that this team was playing some of its best hockey we've seen in years. And still having trouble selling out games with Eric Carlson, with Mark Stone, with now Matt Duchesne in the picture. Uh, and the team was taking a tailspin as well in the standings and eventually didn't make the playoffs altogether. In fact, it was one of the worst teams in the league that season. And then the league, uh, then the downtown arena falls apart and there's a spat with him and his business partner that leads into a lawsuit. And then there's this whole, Oh, we go from, uh, we being Ottawa go from trading for Matt Duchesne within six months to like, yeah, let's do a rebuild. Probably rebuilds the safe way. And that was tough for a lot of fans to take, seeing all those players leave at the same time. And within a matter of three to four years, there wasn't a single member of that 2017 roster on the team still. They had either been traded away, uh, signed with another team, were bought out, whatever the case may be that team in 2017 was completely dissected and dismantled within a span of four years. And it was, it was shocking to the core of every Sands fan. And I have heard a lot of Sands fans that as long as Eugene Melnick was the owner of the team, they weren't going to another game. They were that fed up with him. 
they're fed up with the pricing uh, for parking, not just merchandise and um, vendors and concessions. They were fed up with pretty much the entire game day experience, and they would just resort to watching the Ottawa Senators at home because they love the team, but they wouldn't support it financially so long as Melnick was team owner. So he divided a lot of fans there. And the fact that the future of this uh, NHL franchise pretty much revolves around whether or not you get a downtown arena. And I do think as someone who conveniently lives five minutes away from their current location, that while it's a bit of a tougher commute for me, it's definitely the better option because it's more central to all of the parts of Ottawa. It's less travel from, uh, for the people living, uh, on the Eastern side of, of Ottawa, um, for us, uh, people on, um, on the West and it's not as not as difficult to go to the games but you need a more centralized location you need public transit to be there to get to and from uh, the game uh, traffic is a big thing right now because you have to go on the Queensway then you have to get off then there's this long lineup and it just adds the whole hassle even going on the bus you're in a crowded bus for a good half hour probably and then you have to file out and then go into the building. So the, the commute isn't as smooth as, as it should be right now. So there's that. And I don't know really what the plan would be with Melnick as owner of that downtown arena. Now that venture is completely shot down and it won't happen with this business partner. So if Melnick was still owner, I don't know how he'd get around that. I don't know how he would be able to put together a winning team if he didn't fully commit to paying players, spending to the cap, uh, getting the scouting staff necessary to get things done, upgrading and development uh, and development uh, staff, you know, player development, right. skating coaches, all of that stuff that the good teams have to make them better. Ottawa needs to be first class in a lot of those areas. And you're looking at a bare bones operation that, uh, hey, the the foundation they've been tied to for so many years decided, you know what, we're going to part ways. And they just up and left the team to rebrand and start something new. You don't see too many NHL teams being subject to that stuff. So there's a lot of uncertainty with Melnick as owner. But before I close... I just want to remind fans of Ottawa and people who don't watch hockey regularly uh, that or are NHL fans but don't follow the Ottawa market. The Ottawa Senators in 2003 had a lot of bidders, or at least just a couple, but none were really committed to keeping the team in Ottawa. The team was on the verge of bankruptcy in 2003. Melnick stepped in. Bought the team, kept the team, and spent to the cap for a good amount of time. It didn't come with any rewards, but he was all in with this team for like easily the first four to five years he was there. And that's something that fans will easily forget when you take a look at uh, the short-term rebuild and now the current rebuild that the Sens are on and all of the uncertainty with coaches um there were damaged relationships in between all of that and the division amongst fans as i outlined too 
There, there was a lot of that with Eugene Melnick. But at the end of the day, he was the owner of the Ottawa Senators for almost 20 full seasons, didn't move the team, kept the team here, was willing to commit to the team for the long term despite the downtown arena project uh, crumbling. And he was probably willing to keep the team here for as long as it took. Yeah. And for that, I commend Eugene Melnick and I thank Eugene Melnick for at least giving us a hockey team to cheer for. And it's something that um, I hope the Sens fans don't take for granted now that he's gone. Because there was a lot of complexities to his relationship with the fans, and maybe people didn't understand him fully, but in his heart of hearts, he tried his best. I mean, to be fair, he did threaten to leave the city um, after there was poor low attendance one year but yes uh i do agree that like he is a big part of why ottawa hockey is the way that it is right now so um i think there is something to that um but i do i, I do want to push back on just that one thing that you said that he he did threaten to move but i think that had more to do with he wanted a new arena um and didn't want to pay for it but yes um, but yeah, no, I, you kind of touched upon everything that I was going to mention. Just the fact that like, he did have this contentious, a uh, relationship with the fans and the league in general. Uh, but, and the, uh, most of the players and, uh, just the whole like tear down of, uh, with like in his whole relationship with Mark Stone and Eric Carlson, um, in particular, um, but yeah, at the same time, when you hear all these stories that you've mentioned about Eric Carlson and, um, I didn't even hear about that other story of like, uh, just, um, like just going to other players, um, uh, when, the, when their time is in need. So, um, so yeah, it, it does like, you know, it, it changes your whole opinion of him in a way, um, just from that standpoint, um. And yeah, it's also interesting too because there was that whole like campaign of Melnick out, and now like uh, fans got their wish, even though of course they never like wanted this to happen. Uh, they just wanted him to sell his, his the team to someone else. But um, yeah, it's definitely unfortunate. I don't know what the status is of the senators if like i assume is is it now the ownership group to the senate uh to the melnick family so for right now the ownership group is still the melnick family okay. and um apparently he had it set up so that uh, his family was in line to run it for generations it. now obviously his daughters are gonna have I think a bit of saying what happens moving forward. And, and let's be perfectly clear. Both of his daughters haven't even reached their thirties yet. One of them is attending university. I don't know if any of them have a diehard interest of running a hockey team like Eugene did. Right. So maybe they sell part of, maybe they sell part of the ownership to someone else to help run the day-to-day -day operations. They still have a hand in yeah. things. Um, maybe that could be a possibility, but um, I've, I think the one thing that a lot of people can agree on in Ottawa that I think is completely overblown is this debate, whether or not the Sens are leading, that's not going to happen. Right. Like the amount of time and 
wasteful energy that Gary Bettman has poured into the Arizona Coyotes. After all this time, he's practically given them nine lives, and they've yeah. used up at least five of them. And they're still in Arizona for the time being. Even, even if they're playing in a college stadium for a couple of yeah. years, they still have a hockey team. And while I do agree that logistically Quebec City makes the most sense, I still think the NHL probably has an interest in Quebec City being uh, entering the NHL. They do get a team that Quebec City enters in as an expansion franchise. But now that you have 32 teams, you have everything lined up geographically in the divisions, 32 is a solid number. I think the door has closed shut on an NHL team in Quebec City uh, for the time being. If the NHL uh, wants to be firm in the expansion route and that Quebec is going to be a part of some expansion, unless things really go off the rails in Ottawa, I don't see Quebec City getting an NHL team. There's talks that Quebec City might host games in the future, but those talks are in the preliminary stages. And, and, And let's face it, the fact that... That... Um... The, the fact that you would just give up on the sense and the and without pursuing it downtown arena for a second time after all the Hail Marys you gave to Arizona it would just be a really bad look oh, on yeah. the league so well I, 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 I think I didn't even I like think suggest the sense that, of, yeah. as a hockey market have shown in the past that this isn't them and there are brighter times ahead and I think maybe that a few doors, unfortunately have opened that maybe they wouldn't have if Melnick was no longer the owner. So those, those things will be, will be sorting themselves out uh, in the coming months. And we'll talk about it when more stuff has been talked about, but I don't really want to get into that because the organizations in warning there, but at, at the same time, to answer your question, the sends aren't going anywhere unless I see concrete evidence that it's time to panic. I'm pretty confident that uh, NHL hockey is here to stay in Ottawa for the. I, no, I, I didn't. I don't. I don't know if I phrased it in a way that I was asking if they were going. No, to no, no, you didn't. I, I'm, okay. just, I'm just. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. There, there uh, will be there yeah, will be time to talk. About that didn't even like cross I, my I didn't mind. I want to get too in depth. So. Well, well, you kind of did, but yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> that didn't even cross my mind. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see where they go from there um, and all that stuff. But, yeah, it, it, it is so strict. Because, like, when you emailed me that Melnick uh, passed away, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I had to, like... Yeah. Like, even though I know you told me you have good sources, uh, like, you wouldn't have told me otherwise, I had to, like, check Twitter just to, like, make sure, like, just check that tweet just to make sure that Steve wasn't wrong. It was so sudden. Um, it's just insane to me that like he he just passed away uh, like that. And um, yeah, it's just um, yeah. I know that he had uh, like a, a a lung transplant a couple of years ago, and um, or sorry, liver transplant. Um, and I guess it just I w- I assume it's that was the cause of death that just didn't take or and this had been something that was um, for people in the know um, at the time it's just now it's all public but 
Um, but yeah, it's just a sad situation because as I was mentioning, it's like, yeah, people like I thought that, you know, he was a bad owner, but that, obviously that doesn't mean I want him to die um, or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, it's just a, it's a weird circumstance and um, yeah, hopefully it gets sorts out, it sorts out itself over time. And I guess that's just how things go, but it's definitely a strange situation. Um, on that note, uh, because it's impossible to transition to the next topic, we're, like we do with whenever we talk about a passing away of someone in the hockey community, we just do a moment of silence and then we'll uh, transition to the next topic. So uh, moment of silence is right now. Okay. So, uh, so in other news, uh, the, uh, so Trevor Zegers did it again. Uh, he, uh, and by did it again, I mean, he made the, he did a Michigan goal. This time he actually scored it. And it was kind of funny too, cause, uh, Sonny Milano was in the way at the time. So he like went around Sonny Milano to score, which is, somehow makes it even more impressive. But uh, I guess he's like, at this point, it's just different variations of, um, of the Michigan goal. So it's like, it's just funny that he's able to do this. Um, but then, uh, so this was against the Coyotes. Um, and then, uh, like a couple of minutes later, um, all of a sudden, Jay Beagle cross-checks Zegris in the back. Um, like after a skirmish, um, at goal, um, there was like a big skirmish and then, uh, Troy Terry steps in and starts to fight, uh, Jay Beagle. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, yeah. And then Beagle kind of sucker punches Troy Terry, um, in the face. Um, and if you see the, like, I, I, obviously this is an audio medium, so, um, but, uh, the pictures of Troy Terry's face after the, uh, incident, um, are online and it's, it's kind of brutal cause you can see a black eye, there's blood everywhere. It's not a pretty sight. Um, and, um, and yeah, it was, uh, there was also the Arizona play by play announcer. Um, he mentioned, I, I'm paraphrasing here that, uh, like, that's, he kind of was saying is, like, that's what you get for skilling it up in the league, and he felt like Jay Beagle was doing this because uh, that's what happens when you try to be all flashy and stuff like that. Uh, Jay Beagle didn't end up getting fined or suspended for this um, egregious action, um, and I guess that's the right call. Although when you see tr what Troy Terry looks like, you're just like, really? He's not, he's not doing anything. Uh, he like Beagle isn't getting anything for that. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, so first off to address that, uh, that announcer, I, I think it's like N uh, Riley Nash. No, it's not Riley Nash. It's Tyson Nash. So he was a former enforcer. So of course he has that opinion. Um, but First off, you know how you, the best way to combat skill or something like that is uh, skill, <laughs> like add skill to your game or don't let that happen uh, and uh, make sure that uh, Trevor Zegers can't 
like has a ton of time behind the net to uh, to lift the puck up on his stick. Um, so so that's kind of ridiculous, and it's just like it's just ridiculous to the fact that like 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 I, I feel like that was just an old school way of thinking of like you know you have to have these enforcers, you have to be aggressive because then otherwise you're gonna get embarrassed. So the best way to combat being embarrassed is playing better defense and or or and or uh, being um, better at skill or outskill them by using their skill. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's just ridiculous. It's cheap to uh, to punch someone up just because they're better at them at hockey, um, the sport that they play <laughs> at that moment. Um, having said all that. Um, I have this prediction, I think, well, because this, this incident reminded me a lot of what the Rangers did or what happened to the Rangers last year, where Tom Wilson, uh, ended up, uh, hitting Pavel Buchnevich and then Panarin went in and, uh, Tom Wilson also beat him up as well. And I think this means that the Ducks in the off season are going to get some like aggressive, um, enforcer type um, in and I think a lot of like I wonder I truly do wonder if Nick Delorier wasn't traded um, uh, this you know in the trade deadline I don't think Jay Beagle does what he does um, and or Josh Manson or Josh Manson yeah that's another one so I I would venture that uh, the, the Ducks are going to be more physical or get some physical type player um and like yeah of course so that you can give the ability that troy terry and trevor segris can do what they do best um which is skill it up and um and yeah so it's like i i think you know i i think it was like a true tell that like troy terry willingly like once trevor segris was hit in the back like Troy Terry, like it shows a lot of his character that Troy Terry, knowing that he can't really fight, um, went up to Jay Beagle and started to fight him, um, and and so that's like you know that's really cool of or like that's noble of Troy Terry to do, but at the same time he doesn't need to be doing that. That's not his that's not his role. In fact, he he might you know he's he could end up getting injured by doing that. Like that's not who he is. So you do need, like, even though, like, these, like, enforcers are kind of going away, I can kind of see the point of getting a, an enforcer because you don't want these situations to happen again. And, like, although I do disagree with the fact that you have to, like, thug it out um, and there, there is no way to have skill in the game or something like that, um, I, I think that in a way they're the ducks need to get more physical um just so that this stuff doesn't happen again or there could be like a situation like a todd bertuzzi trevor moore situation uh, not trevor moore a uh, steve moore um situation yeah. so um so i do think that that's what the ducks will do in the off season but yeah any more thoughts i i know i was <laughs> i'm talking a lot about the whole incident but uh, do you have any thoughts on this, or what are your thoughts on this incident? Well, I mean, the Coyotes broadcast crew is typical Homer BS. Right. Like, if 
like I know he was. I don't know if he was playing because he was injured, but like he if someone injured. like Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, or Jacob Chikrin, yep. the star player in Arizona, does what Trevor Zegers did, and one of the Anaheim guys goes after him, they'd probably be pointing fingers at the yep. Anaheim guys saying he should be suspended. It's like, yeah, yeah, you you have you skill it up there. You're right. still up there, son. I have no problem with that. Like, that's great for hockey. Right, right, it's right. great. Good for you. It is hypocritical. It, yeah. it's, it's just, if it is what it is. It, it's hypocritical. And, I mean, Jay Beagle, as far as I'm concerned, uh, if he's not good at killing penalties and preventing goals, he should just retire and, I don't know, like, uh, go take part in, like, Mario Kart tournaments. So you're good at that, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it was funny because you you were emailing me the other day uh, or when this happened and you were saying that like he'll find another job um eventually uh because like he's good at p- killing penalties which is true he he is good at penalties and that's why he's uh been able to be in the league but at the same time he's 36 years old uh he barely plays for a the arizona <laughs> coyotes I don't think we'll see him again um, next season. Um, it's like it comes to a point where you can find another player who can kill penalties just as good as Jay Beagle can. So I, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it kind of, um, it's kind of crazy too. Um, I mean, have you seen the Red Wings penalty kill? It's atrocious. <laughs> right, right, right. You'll, you'll probably find his way in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I will. I don't know. I because like. I feel like you can find it'll a be a league player. minimum one year deal, but he'll find his way with uh, on an NHL team that I guess. Killing yeah, him. I guess you do have a point somewhat, but um, it won't be Vancouver. I'll tell you that because no matter how bad their penalty kill is, they literally traded him to Arizona so they could get his contract away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, oh, I don't know if you saw this, Steve, but Brent. Uh, so Steve Dangle uh, kind of has the similar opinion to us, uh, where. Yeah. Uh, he said, like, uh, Steve Dingle, because uh, Brent Sobel, who was a part of that 2010 Blackhawks team, responded to Steve Dingle. Um, but uh, Steve Dingle mentions, like, you want to skill it up. You mean be good. Yes, all hockey play- players should want to be good. Can't stop Trevor Zegas putting you on a poster. Wow, that sucks. Guess you should probably get good. Can't get good. Sucks to suck. Put this attitude in a museum. Embarrassing. Um, and then so Brent Sobel goes, Zegris rather play for the name on the back than the front. That's the problem with the NHL. We are now like the other three major sports, more selfishness. It's sad. Um, and then <laughs> Steve Dangle says, he literally scored a goal for his team in the first period. And then Brent Sobel said, more worried about pulling off so-called highlight reel goals than losing 11 in a row. They talk like that in an interview. You guys can say whatever you want. There's zero respect in the NHL. Which is kind of, um, it's like, I kind And you of know what, maybe what, he's yeah. right, but I'd rather give Zegers a couple of years to say otherwise, because, yeah. like, the dude's a rookie. Come on. Like, right. That, that's, we, can't base, we can't base the personality off of one season. Well, the thing is, is that um, Brent Sobel played for the Blackhawks, as I mentioned, in the 2010 team. So it, it, already he's not a great dude. You can get that sense of it. But um, um, yeah, he, he 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 stuck up for uh, Kyle Beach. I don't know about that. Oh, did he? 
Okay. Yeah, he, him and Nick Boynton were one of the advocates for Kyle Beach, saying right. like, "Hey, this is wrong. Team, call it out." Fair enough. I, so, okay. I no, he's 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 on the that. good side of the Blackhawks. Okay. Anyway, that that, that's fair. Fair point. Um, but, but that's but yeah. On on this point, it, it is yeah. kind of interesting because but, but my, also didn't the, Trevor Zegers fight in practice a few days prior to this? Well, you know, the reason why I... Like he's, he, he's, he's frustrated. He's showing some heart, right? Right, right, right. And, you know, and he was sticking up for his teammate after the call because he, he did want uh, Trevor Zegris after the game. Uh, he had, he was interviewed and he said that, yeah, he think he, he even mentioned Jay Beagle's name. Like, I guess he doesn't want to get fined, but he was very heated. And it's something that you don't see a lot in the NHL. Um but the reason why I mentioned that Brent Sobel uh, played for Chicago is I wonder what he would do if Patrick Kane did a similar move at, at his time. Because Patrick Kane is more than able of doing pulling off a Michigan goal like that. So, um, or like, even like Jonathan Taze. Um, I know that uh, now that I'm looking here, I guess uh, Sobel only played for Chicago for two years. But I was going to say like, even like DeBrincat could pull that kind of off. So I, like that's another one where it's like if if your teammate did that sort of thing you wouldn't be saying what you're saying right now, um, and yeah I think that like the... and I mean I mean I mean that situation as well right. this is also another thing let let's say it happens in a seven nothing blowout in the second period not saying this is the, this is the scenario we're talking about but let's just say this happens in a seven nothing blowout game you're just showboating and you're really pissed off yeah that's fine. But then, then, then set the tone with a big hit the yeah. next play, or or right. go score a goal, or drop the gloves with a guy who's actually your size, right, right, <laughs> and yeah. send a message that we're sick and tired of this BS, right. But to go after like a star player like that, eh, that's that's, yeah. that's just baby stuff. I guess it's it's just like I I disagree with what they're saying because it's like. Like, what Brent Sobel was saying is, like, oh, now you're, like, the other three leagues. And I don't know if Brent Sobel knows this, but uh, football, basketball, and baseball are more popular than hockey. Although baseball is sort of dwindling down, but it's still pretty popular. So, it's, like, that's a good thing. (laughs) It's, like, don't we want... Individual athletes in particular are driving driving the popularity of those sports. Look at soccer. Soccer's the biggest example of this. Yeah. Like, you don't think of Cristiano Ronaldo as someone on Barcelona or Real right. Madrid or Manchester yeah. United uh, at the start of his career and right. in his later stages of his career. You think of Cristiano Ronaldo as, oh, my God, it's freaking Cristiano Ronaldo. Same with Lionel Messi. Yeah. Same with any pro footballer up until that point as well. Yeah. Soccer is such a worldwide brand that is driven from a marketing standpoint by individual players. Right. And also, it's like, would I rather see the Michigan goal, or would I rather see like a bunch of fights uh, happening, or and like it's like a one nothing game where like the goal was like a, like a it it was like a dirty goal. I would take uh, the Michigan yeah. goal a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, I don't. Yeah, think, like yeah. Trevor Zegers could be breaking the mold, and we just don't right. even know it. Well, I think we do know. It's just, it's just, I hate that whole, like, it, it reminded me of when, uh, a couple of years ago, when, uh, when Don Cherry called out the Carolina Hurricanes fan celebration as a bunch of jerks. It's like, oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. 
like and they like, made a t-shirt out of it what are you gonna do about it right right and, yeah and carolina made it in a part of their identity which was great but like what's the like like i don't i, I feel like hockey just hates fun it's just uh it's ridiculous um so that that part just needs to go. I I think it was more of a like I I just don't like the commentary that like you need to knock that that stuff out of the game, which is it's just ridiculous. It's it's um it's insane to me. Um I mean, I I get kind of get what they're saying, but like as you were mentioning, it's like Cristiano Ronaldo, like no one calls him selfish. Um so anyways. Um uh, I feel like we've been talking too much about that um about this so let's let's move on uh the next thing was uh so keith yandel um was told by mike yo uh, yo to uh that he's he's gonna he was healthy scratched i guess last night um which ends his uh iron man streak which is um obviously very sad however um he was 11 games from being uh, making it to a thousand consecutive um, games uh, played in a row, which has never happened. Um, I think Phil Kessel might have the best chance of doing this because uh, he's close behind. Uh, so m- maybe we will see that happen. But like at this point, it's like the Flyers are not good um, and uh, they're out of the playoffs. So it's like one thing if it's like, you know, Yes, Keith Yandel's not as good as he used to be. I, I get it. Um, but first off, you know, the Flyers went out and signed this guy. Um, they know that this Ironman streak was happening. There was that whole thing last year with Florida about, like, uh, not ruining his streak. So it's just, it's just a, it became a whole thing. And now it's just like, like you're purposely not starting him because of reasons. When, like, yes, he, he's not as good, but, like, at this point, like, just the fact that Mike Yo was saying, like, oh, this is what's best for the team right now. Um, you know what's best for the team right now is to uh, get that first overall pick. Uh, and, and because Keith Yandel stinks, uh, you know, play him because he's not good. And then, uh, like, it, it's like it's not even, like, the biggest... It shouldn't be this big of a deal. I get it. And you can even make a case that, like, Phil Kessel's Ironman streak is kind of questionable, too, with the whole, like, him playing, like, 30 minutes of uh, in the first period of one game just so that he could keep his Ironman streak alive so then he could, like, fly out to... Um, to see his baby getting born or his kid get, getting born. Um, so like, I guess like, but like at the same time, like in contrast, like the Arizona coyotes really do care about that. Like Phil Kessel's Ironman streak to the point where they flew Phil Kessel. Out. It might be the yeah. only PR move that's positive for them right. this year, but Hey, I mean, right. they're going all out for this streak. Like, and then, I respect that. and then similarly, like, like the Flyers, they're not making the playoffs either, and yet they're just doing this just to be a dick um, to Keith Yandel. And so it's just which is yeah. which is which is funny because if you remember, Claude Giroux played in his thousandth yeah. game before getting traded. What right. if he gets hurt in leading up to that? <laughs> then, he, 
then he's got next to no <laughs> trade value. You're taking so much risk by just playing him there. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even thought of that. Yeah. Just like, yeah, we, we, we're doing this for the best of the team. To that I counter, how much better is your defense without Keith Yandel? Because the first game you play without Keith Yandel, they give up six goals yeah. against the Maple Leafs. Well, well, you know what truly is the, the betterment up for the team is like getting rid of Mike Yo. But, but obviously he's not going to say that. So, um, but yeah, it's just uh, like, yeah, it, it was insane. Um, I don't know. Do you have any more on this? It, it, it's, un, it's unfortunate uh, for Keith Yandel, but at least he can say my Iron Man streak didn't end because I wasn't willing to play or I wasn't able to play due to health reasons. I showed up at the rink. I was ready to go. And the reason I didn't get to play was because of a coaching decision and yep. an organizational decision. Keith Yandel has showed up like a pro every single day, trying to do his best, trying to give it his all. And unfortunately, uh, it, it came to this. And it sucks that it ended. But, I mean, still, I think very few NHLers are going to be able to accomplish what he's accomplished over the course of his career in terms of playing 82 games every single year. And it's, and it's something that, uh, regardless of his final stats and regardless of how people remember him um, uh, from an overall standpoint as a player, from the defensive side, not just the offensive side, it, they, they, they can't say, well, he, he, he didn't try every night and he, he didn't show up. He showed up. He was healthy. He was ready to go every single day. He showed up ready to make a difference. And that's all you can ask of a guy. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we're going to start, well, we to, we did talk about this a bit last week, and we said that we were going to go more in depth, and now we're going to go more in depth. The uh, Vegas Golden Knights are um, are kind of, they might miss the playoffs, um, believe it or not. They are currently fourth in the Pacific, and they are, uh, they are in like just on the outside of the wild card race. Um, the, to be fair, at this point, when you are listening to this, uh, the, the Golden Knights are playing Vancouver right now. Um, so it is very possible. And uh, the Golden Knights are, uh, they have 80 points. Dallas, who has the second wild card spot, is eight, has 81 points. And the Nashville Predators have 82 points. Um, and so, so they could get, I guess, uh, right, right. So uh, Nashville does have three games in hand, um, and Dallas has uh, four games in hand from Vegas, um, assuming that this, this Vegas-Vancouver game that they're playing right now is over. So at this point, uh, all, all this to say that the standings could change by the time you're listening to this. But at the moment, uh, Vegas is uh, out of the playoffs, and all that stuff, and according to Money Puck, which does like the playoff odds, they have a fifty percent, fifty point two percent chance of making the playoffs. Uh, so literally a fifty fifty. Um, they have uh, so they uh, not including tonight's game, they have been on a winning streak of four games, but uh, in the in the month of March they went seven and eight. Uh, so that's not great. Um, a big reason for this was they have had a lot of guys on IR. 
um, or long-term IR. Um, so as soon as Eichel was activated, Mark Stone went to LTIR. Um, Riley Smith was most recently put on LTIR. Uh, Patches was is also on IR, but just normal IR. Um, and then um, in the month of March, uh, Leonard, McNabb, and Martinez were on IR or LTIR. Um, but uh, they, they, all three of them have come back. Um, I know that Leonard is kind of, um, I think they've been playing Logan Thompson more, which is interesting, the other goaltender uh, for Vegas. So um, I'm not sure who's playing tonight, but I do see that Vegas is up one nothing over Vancouver right now. Um, but anyways, uh, they are still in Capel, um, and they... They like to the point where they didn't make any trade. I guess you could count the Eichel trade, but that was their last trade that they made. Um, and um, it would have, you know, the other trade that they would have made was the dead enough trade, but that got voided. And even if they made it, they would still be in a cap hell. Um, so they didn't make any other moves. Uh, to his credit, Eichel has been really good. He has 16 points in 21 games. I see that he just got an assist, so I guess that's 17 points in 22 games. But um, but they gave a lot to get him, and uh, they kind of need to make the playoffs in order for that to make sense. Um, or, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he does have a couple more years left on his term and all that stuff, so... Like, they may make the playoffs next year and all that stuff. So, it, it could still be worth it for them. But, on the other hand, um, you know, Max Pacioretty is getting older. Mark Stone's getting older. Um, and both of them haven't played hockey in a long time. So, uh, you don't know how good they can be um, given all that. Um, and, yet, we haven't even seen all three of those guys on the same team at the same time, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. So, um, and, and of course, if they do make the playoffs, there is a potential that Stone and Patches uh, come back in for the playoffs. So they might, maybe that's their thinking that they just like, they want to make the playoffs um, and then uh, and then do what uh, the, the Lightning did last year and just, you know, insert Kucherov and, um, and then, you know, see what you have. But uh, it's that's not uh, guaranteed right now. Because, like, the Lightning, the thing is, is the Lightning are a good team without Kucherov. Um, Vegas kind of needs Mark Stone. They kind of need Max Pacioretty um, and Robin Leonard for a time. So it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Um, so I, I do have this list of questions here. Um, I guess we can start off with, will the Knights make the playoffs? But yeah, first, if you want to make like what, um, what your reactions to everything I just said. First of all, it goes without saying that Mark Stone is a good player. He's a character player and losing him is a big loss for this team. And they've also had to deal with Max Pacioretty being out for an extended period of time. They don't have Riley Smith at the moment, uh, which sucks for them. There's uh, <laughs> Apparently, Robin Leonard is back. There were reports that he had a fractured kneecap, which, yep. or a cracked kneecap. Either way, it sounds painful. Any injury associated with a kneecap, uh, that would probably affect your day-to-day -day operations as a goaltender. But he's back regardless. 
Um, at the same time, they still have the likes of Alex Petrangelo. They just got Alec Martinez back. Shea Theodore, despite a decent start to the season, and decent if you're a forward, I would say pretty excellent if you're a defenseman. In the first eight weeks of the second half, his plays kind of dipped in terms of offensive stats. His plays dipped. Um, you have the likes of uh, Pavel Donofreyev and uh, Brett Howden and uh, Jake LeCision in the mix. Michael Amadio is on the second line uh, to compensate for these injuries. And, oh, by the way, Evgeny Dadnov, the guy who they tried to get rid of, yep. he's currently on the top line as a left winger. Yeah. And Jack Eichel, who uh, they got in that big trade with Buffalo, is centering said top line. The other thing I will say about Jack Eichel is that his play is excellent for a guy who, A, just had a major operation and has dealt with back pain or neck pain, yep, a, a lot of upper body pain for the better part of the past year with no real solution on the horizon, didn't have a proper training camp, didn't have much of a chance to get his feet wet for the better part of six to seven months. And now all of a sudden he's just thrown into the fire on a team with a mountain of injuries. Like, hey, here's your team. Good luck. We need you. We need we need you to get us to the playoffs. I think all things considered, it's been a good year for Jack Eichel. And I think if you give him a full off season of rest to get his strength back, to get his conditioning back to where it needs to be, I think you're going to see Jack Eichel in the top 20 scoring race next year, as soon as next year. Um, I think he'll be back to his, his normal self. And I, I, I think he's definitely as good as he can be for the time being, but I don't think he's 100% Jack Eichel even still. Uh, speaking of not 100%, there's also Nolan Patrick. You're not really sure what he's going to be for this team. You have uh, some question marks for Matias Yamark, his future there. Um, with Riley Smith, I don't know if they keep him because of cap reasons. William Carlson has got, I think, five more years with the modified no-trade clause and his cap hits $5.9 I'm interested to see, given how bold Vegas tends to be with their moves, if they're like, yeah, we picked this gap in the expansion draft. Yeah, he's been a good foot soldier for many, many years. But his offensive numbers aren't there. He needs to go. Then they probably move him to get something that they feel that they need. Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau is one of their most consistent scorers this year. And beyond that, he's been a consistent scorer. Um, I think he's definitely here to stay and it'd be a shock if they moved him. Chandler Stevenson, I'll give him credit for a guy that played a lot with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone this year. With Pacioretty and Stone out due to injury, you would have thought his point production might have dipped. Chandler Stevenson has held his own this year, and I'll give him uh, all the credit in the world for that. I think he's a real gamer. He can be a top six forward on this team. So moving forward, um, I like what I see there. Again, when they got rid of Ryan Reeves, when they got rid of Marc-Andre Fleury, when they got rid of Nate Schmidt, all because they felt that they were saving their their bullets for the likes of Max Pacioretty or uh, Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo, Robin Leonard, all these big name guys they were bringing in because they felt they were making the team better. I think that loss of character has come with a cost and it's finally catching up to them to the point where I don't think down the road, 
it's going to hurt them record-wise. I think record-wise and points-wise, Vegas is still going to be a good team this year. It's a one-off. And when you get a fully healthy roster, um, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Western Conference. There's no doubt about that. At the same time, I do think they have underperformed to an extent because they are in a weak division, because they are fighting for their playoff lives, and for the simple fact that if they are not a top three team in their division, they'd probably miss the playoffs because of how good Dallas is playing right now. And uh, despite their recent struggles, how Nash- how good Nashville's players have been, like Roman Yossi yeah. is playing on another planet, Forsberg and Duchesne and Johansson and Granlin have all been playing well. Some of those names I just mentioned, uh, being Duchesne and Forsberg, are arguably having their best seasons in the NHL so far. And also you have UC Saros, who's a freaking legend uh, between the pipes for Nashville. Um, it's if you're if you're asking me playoff odds right now. Oh man, um, I'd say Vegas has a fifty-two percent chance of making the playoffs, but that could easily change with another losing streak. Yep, I'm not. Th- this is the least confident I've been in Vegas reaching the playoffs. I'm not gonna lie. Well, uh, I mean, that's not that shocking considering that this is by far their least likely that they were going to make it. It is funny, though, that they make this Eichel trade and, like, Eichel's probably thinking, like, oh, this is great because, you know, Vegas is in a weak division and he's going to see the playoffs for the first time in his career. And then it seems like it's not like he's back into his old situation because, or at least for this season. Um, yeah, I do agree with you that I think, um, like, once they have everyone healthy, um, I think they'll be good to go and be a very scary team. Uh, the thing is, is that they will have to make a cap dump move uh, this offseason and somehow, and I don't know what, uh, like, what that cap move is going to be, like, Maybe it is Jonathan Marchessault, or maybe it's Riley Smith, and I'm not necessarily sure I would love the fact if you're trading Jonathan Marchessault. Um, but, yeah, maybe you could you could make room for that or um, something like that. But uh, Or even, yeah, Riley Smith, I think, is replaceable, though. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely a weird situation um because i i do think that there is a potential where if let's say they do make the playoffs there's a possibility that um that like they get stone back they get max petrietti back and then it's like oh right of course like vegas golden knights are very good and like why do we doubt them <laughs> to begin with uh so uh so yeah i do the thing is is that like, i i guess they, the thing is, is like the Kings, I don't know how good they can be in the playoffs, but currently they are second in the Pacific, which is crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is hard to doubt them. So I feel like there is a potential that, because they, so the Golden Knights have 80 points in 70 games. The uh, Kings have 86 points in 71 games. I don't know how often... I'm ignoring Edmonton and I'm ignoring Calgary because I I think Edmonton and Calgary are a better team than Vegas is currently. But I think there is a chance that the Kings could slide 
and the Golden Knights could catch up uh, to them. Um, and yeah, I guess it is also possible that I like that like the Golden Knights could uh, pass Dallas or Nashville, but I think it's going to be very very close. Um, but I think their best chance might be is hoping that the Kings um, crumble under pressure uh, at at the end here. But um, but yeah, I guess they they could also get a wild card stuff, which would be interesting too, because then. That means, like, let's say they do get the second um, spot in the wild card. That means that they play Colorado in the first round. Um, so that will be a fun series if they can get Mark Stone back or Patrick back. Um, I did see you mentioned that Robin Leonard um, hasn't made his return. He actually is starting tonight, so he's making his return tonight. Uh, so that that's a huge help for them, of course. Um and yeah, I, I think the, the, the Golden Knights could make the playoffs. I don't know if I can do odds, but I'll, I guess I'm, because you did it. Uh, let me see. Um, yeah, I'll say 75%. I, I, I believe that this team can, can get it done because they're in a weak division. Um, but I, I think they'll, and they dug a hole for themselves, and yeah, they're in a tight situation, but I think they'll be able to make the playoffs, but we'll see. Um, Okay, so what uh, all this situation, clearly they have to make some cap dump move um, in the offseason. So what do they do in the offseason? Um, yeah, I, as I mentioned, I think they do probably trade Riley Smith or, um, or uh, Jonathan Marcheseau in a cap dump move. Uh, more likely Riley Smith because I think he's, he has less term. Oh, well, actually, they can't really trade Riley Smith. He's a free agent next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe they um, – so maybe they, they don't worry about it. But um, – because that's like $5 million, uh, without the cap. Actually, let me look here. Next year, their cap space – oh, they're still at zero <laughs> somehow. That makes no sense. Um but yeah, so maybe maybe they do that. I'm not really sure what else they can do. Yeah, I mentioned Marcus, so maybe they do trade that enough finally, but in the offseason. That's the other move I was thinking of. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could move Dadden off for futures, but like again, like what's what's your top six gonna look like? Um I, I guess it, it wouldn't be that bad because when you consider where Vegas was, even with a healthy lineup, Dadnov wasn't really being put in those leverage situations of a top six forward when you had Max Petri in the picture, when you had Mark Stone in the picture, even before Jack Eichel uh, sprung onto the scene in Vegas. Uh, Dadnov's minutes, after a while, started to go down. So I don't think they really trusted him to be in those leverage situations. And obviously, now that he's playing well, he's playing on the top line. So I'm not really sure if they have any long-term plan with Dadnov. Uh, they'd probably move on from him. And and Riley Smith um, probably doesn't stay because of, uh, you know, the high cap hit as well. It, it's just um, it, it's just disappointing with Vegas because, again, like they're the masters of their own destiny. They're, they're clearly the frontrunners to win their division. 
and the prospect of them not making the playoffs is is absolutely staggering. The one thing I will say is I still think they can catch uh, Dallas. Um, there is a chance they could also overtake Nashville if Nashville continues to struggle. Nashville didn't really have the best week. But, again, if Nashville's firepower is clicking at the rate that it's been like it was in March with Roman Yossi just firing off assists like it was nobody's business, um, it's going to be pretty tough to overcome that, which leaves you with Los Angeles and Edmonton. And I know Los Angeles is currently second, Brett, but as you mentioned, their goal differential is like plus three, which I feel like is very, very low for – a team that's a top three team. And while the Oilers are also doing better, their goaltending, I I still, I I would trust Vegas's goaltending more than Edmonton's goaltending at this point. And, and their starter has been banged up for a good chunk of this year already. So, um, I, I still think there's a chance. There's a chance Vegas is going to have to bear down and get a lot of stuff done. There is a chance if the if either the Oilers or Kings struggle that Vegas hops in as the third seed and they don't have to worry about um, coming through the back door as a wild card team. And I think it, it would definitely serve Vegas if they were the number three seed because I do think at that point you would get some of the guys that have been on long-term injury reserve back into the lineup with Mark Stone being the main piece. And you would stay in a fighting chance against whoever that second seed is, whether it's Edmonton or Los Angeles, not quite sure. But I do think that is a winnable series for Vegas. If Vegas goes into the playoffs, if they do it all against a team like Colorado, while that would be a fun series, I don't think it's one that Vegas would win. So they are definitely better off getting in as a top three team in their own division because I do think at that point... Um, that is a pretty winnable scenario. Even Calgary, they might be the clear-cut front runners in that division. I still don't know if I fully trust them, especially given what I've seen from them over the past couple of weeks. Mark, Markstrom's numbers have gone down a little bit, too. Um, that game against St. Louis where they outplayed them, they lost 6-4. to four. And we all know what happened in 2019 when they met up against Colorado, their offense disappeared and they were relying on their goaltending again to bail them out of situations. So if we get a part two of that, then all of a sudden Calgary is a very beatable team and a team like Vegas should just sneak into the back door and reach the conference finals again. Um, so all things considered, uh, it's, it's not like Vegas is dead in the water yet, but, Everything that they have done so far has put them in this situation. And I think moving forward, you also need to look at not just what the roster looks like beyond this year, but I think the question needs to be asked again, is Peter DeBoer the right coach for the Vegas Golden Knights? Can he get the most out of this group? Because you look at guys like Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh and you look at guys like uh, Jared Bednar in Colorado. Whenever Pittsburgh and Colorado have been faced with injury troubles, and granted, they haven't been nearly as rampant as they were in Vegas. They've always found a way to hold down the fort, get some wins, overcome whatever obstacles lie before them. They keep on trucking, then they get healthy, and then all of a sudden they're the team everyone expected them to be. I, I just haven't seen that 
level of resolve that Vegas has shown in previous years this year. And that's got to change moving forward, heading into next season and the years beyond that, if they want to get as much out of this core as they can. Yeah, yeah. That is a good point about the coaches stuff. I guess the thing with the coaches is, like, what coaches will be available um, out there uh, that can do more than what uh, DeBoer is doing right now. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe, like, Torts. <laughs> I feel like that's the go-to Well, answer, that's the name that always comes to mind. Yeah. But then but then I start to think, well, how would he vibe with Jack Eichel? Because yeah. <laughs> I feel like it, if, if he didn't vibe well with Dubois, then Jack Eichel would be a totally different yeah, story. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Jack Eichel wants to go to the playoffs and he, and he wants to win. So if he yeah. wants to win that badly and reach the playoffs, I think at this point he would he would be willing to revolve some parts of his game on the defensive side and be more of a team first oriented style of player. And and that's and that's the thing with Vegas is because they need to fix their power play. They need their power play to be better. They need they need special teams to be better, and they need to really complement the strengths of the guys that they have. Yep. So. While it would be nice um, for a guy like John Tortorella to build a good team first game, so when injuries do hit you, they can they can beat the Columbus Blue Jackets and find a way to still make the playoffs and rise above the rest as a formidable opponent and just a better all around team. But at the same time, you need to make sure that you get the most out of those players offensively. Yeah. And would Tortorella fit the best of both worlds in that department? I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah. Nor would I. Nor am I sure really that Tortorella would fit with the vision of ownership because ownership and management with Vegas, I feel like they're very set in their own ways and they like their guys. Right. I really don't know if Torts would be their guy for a four, five, six year period like he was in Columbus. Right. 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 Yeah, I don't know if he would be a good fit, actually, but obviously, but I would, I just, it was just the only coach that I had um, thinking of, like, oh, who, what coaches are out there? Oh, right, torts. But yeah, you're right. It, it's not, it might not be the best fit. Um, okay, last question here. Um, so we've never had, as I mentioned before, we never had Stone, Eichel, and Patches in the same game, um, but we do need to ask, so it's like we haven't even seen the core at its full 100% health. Um, but having said all that, is this the start of the end of the Knights run with this core that we have right now? Oh, I guess yeah, I, just, and, and <laughs> I should. I, I, at this rate, I should also point out again, I don't really know if Vegas cares about that because, again, their front office... Um, likes to see results true and if they really see it right away that could force them into making a move that they're going to regret so again do they move a guy like max patch ready to get more versatility in their lineup it remains to be seen but right. um i i feel i feel like if the results aren't there fast enough it it might it, it uh they it it, it might not matter like if they don't have the patience to see it through, it might not matter. They'll just go out and make a move True. because that's what they've done before. Yep. They're not afraid to feel they're not afraid to address what they feel is an issue 
within a matter of within a matter of days. If they feel like they're going to do something, they're going to do it. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, that is a good point. But like you know, at the same time, it's like so they 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 felt like they needed a defenseman, so they go out and get Alex Petrangelo. They felt like they needed a like a mm-hmm. star caliber forward. So they go out and get Max Petretti and Mark Stone. They feel like they need a center, so they go out and get Jack Eichel. And then, you know, Jonathan Marchessault has been there from the beginning, so they keep him. Chandler Stevenson, they kind of lucked out with him, uh, but maybe they start to upgrade at center. Shea Theodore, they kind of lucked out with him, but, you know, maybe they try to improve him or trade him somewhere else. Um so I, I don't know if this is like, and like, you know, the same can be said about like Robin Leonard and although they, they did have Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, but uh, yeah, maybe it's just uh, like Leonard, um, that's, uh, you could say the same thing with Leonard. Um, but um, yeah, I, 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 I think a lot of it, it just has to do with health. Um, I do wonder though, like, like, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, let's say there's a hypothetical where the Golden Knights do make the playoffs and then, like, miraculously, Mark Stone can play and miraculously, Max Petretti can play. So, like, this may end up being the plan all along. However, like, just hearing from what uh, Mark Stone has been saying is that, like, his, his injury is actually really bad. Like, he wishes he could play, but he can't. Um, so he's saying all the right things. So I don't think they're like purposely uh, cap recapturing uh, this this thing. So he may end up being hurt. But like, there's also another possibility like that. Mark Stone may not even be ready by the playoff time. So um, and that could be a, a bigger concern because then, as good as Mark Stone is, then you have to worry about like, well, are we getting the same Mark Stone that we've gotten? once he's healthy, um, even next season. Um, so that's something that you have to consider. I mean, yes, Mark Stone's 29 years old. Uh, Pacioretty's, I think, uh, like 31 years old. So it's like, yeah, over time, these injuries just, you know, hold over. And um, and, uh, and it's just a natural thing where players aren't as good, especially coming off of an injury. So. It might take some time, and uh, it's it's very possible that we may not see the Mark Stone that we are used to, um, um, at, you know, even next year. So, um, but yeah, at the moment, it's 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 just uh, all up in the air. Um, but yeah, I, I I think there that, that's really why I was phrasing it because there was there's a potential that Pacioretty and Stone may never actually be the same again if their injuries are as bad as they say it is. So that's it for us here at Lace Em Up. Um, you can follow us on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes or Spotify. Or subscribe to us um, wherever else you get your podcast um, or on those platforms. You can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk to you in episode 315 of Lace Em Up Podcast.